Oath Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to episode 10 of season 6. Yes, episode 10, it is already time flies once again. And today we are Sunday, June 27 of 2021. And my name is Rudolf. I am, as always, your host on the Thought Hermes podcast. Glad that you came back to us and are listening to our show here today, which bears the title Three Worlds. And for those of you who know a little bit about shamanism, they can guess that those three worlds are the ones that we take from the shamanic conception of our world. And my guest today will be Chris Allen, who has written very interesting books about that, but more than about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. It's good to have you here. It's very, very nice to have new listeners every week. And I can see that on my feedback from our providers here that the numbers are increasing and I'm always very happy about that. Right. And today, uh, I would like to invite you once again, not only to listen to this podcast, but maybe, especially if you're new, to go back to the old episodes, the former episodes. You can find all of them on our website, which is thoughthermes.com. That is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. And it would be lovely if you gave me some feedback. Um, we really like that. And... Uh, I would like to know how you feel about the podcast, what interests you, what makes you uh, interested to come here, maybe also things that you don't like, just let me know. You can go on that website and send me a message there on the contact page. You can also leave a voicemail, which more and more people do, which is nice. Uh, on that very page, you have a little tab on the right of the page. It's completely free and just send me a voicemail. But of course, you can send me a regular email, info at thoughthermes.com, or also you go on Facebook or Twitter and leave your contact messages or messages or meaning or comments or whatever there, okay? Would be lovely to do that. One more thing. When you are on the website, you see that Patreon button on the first page. Well, we need your support and I thank Every one of you who has already become a patron, there are again two new patrons this week. Thanks for joining. Well, if we have two new each week, or maybe three, or maybe four, that would be lovely. We need a few more. Uh, we need a few more to, to make that podcast sustainable and supported. Thank you to those once again who already do so. And the others, do not forget, there is that Patreon button on the first page of the website. You can also go onto Patreon directly and look for Thought Hermes podcast there. If you prefer a one-off donation, we are happy about that too, of course. And that, that is also be, to be found on the website 
on the first page. Right. Well, I told you that one of the core subjects of our talks today is shamanism. It's not just about shamanism, you'll find out more about that later. Um, but uh, let's say the foundation, the base of it is shamanism. And um, as you will find out, uh, and as you probably know already, shamanism is of course a very global uh, phenomenon from really far, far back, thousands of years. and has created different currents. And I thought that my music choice today can and should reflect that. So I picked three pieces of music that all have a relation to shamanism, but all from different backgrounds, from different countries, from different geographical backgrounds, right? So um, I will present that music to you to also show that unity in diversity within uh, the music that the shamans have produced. Now, the music that you're going to hear today is not original shamanic music. It's not traditional folk shamanic music, but it is music strongly inspired by shamanic traditions from a specific country. And the first that we are going to hear refers to Native American shamanic music and it's called, well it is actually a healing song uh, as it was inspired by the Lakota, the Lakota Native Americans and it's called Lakota Peyote Healing Song and I'm sure that you are going to enjoy this. Once again, it's not purely traditional music and not pretending that but music strongly inspired by it. So listen to the healing song Lakota Peyote. Enjoy. Oh, 
Lakota peyote, healing song. Influenced, of course, very strongly and very close to Native American shamanic music, that is for sure. And the interpreters of that were Robbie Robertson, Verdell Primo, and Johnny Mike. Well, let's go and meet Chris Allen now. Chris lives in the Chicago area and from very early age on he has had a strong attraction to 
paganism to nature to all that is related to it well probably also influenced by a personal native american background you're going to hear all about that in a moment i am going to read to you now a few lines as i always do from one of his books i said it's a fifth book that will appear soon four have already been published and i read you a short passage from otherworld his most recent book the others are called Underworld, which actually is in two volumes, Underworld and uh, Deeper in the Underworld. And then the second part, third volume was called Upper World. And now this is Otherworld. And what fascinates me is that Chris does not only speak about the Underworld as usually it's being done when we do books about shamanic traveling, you speak about the Underworld, etc. But he really touches all three realms of the shamanism and we discover in those books that it is much more than shamanism actually we talk about magic we talk about witchcraft paganism there is lots and lots in those books um, that you should discover let me read that passage from other world the other world is a place of magic mystery and enchantment it is the place that is beyond our physical world and is home to many beings such as elves, fairies, and nature spirits. It is so close to our world, but for many, it is so far away. In the type of traditional witchcraft I was taught, we worked very closely with the other world and the spirits that dwell within this magical place. I was initiated into traditional witchcraft by my first magical teacher, Matthew Ellenwood. He taught us many powerful trance techniques and introduced our circle to the powers and beings of the land. As with any good teacher, Matthew has the skill to bring his students to the magic, but allows them to discover magic all on their own. It was because of the many full and dark moon gatherings that I began my practice with the other world. Many of the theories and practices I will give you are shamanic in nature, but are seen through the worldview of the traditional witch. And I think in this last phrase especially, Chris makes it very clear that this book is very holistic and his worldview is as well. All right, let's now go and meet Chris Allen. Before we start, I need to say, I'm afraid, that we had kind of technical problems at some point. Um, we were going to meet already two days earlier to do that interview, then a huge thunderstorm on my end prevented that. And um, when we finally could get together and record, we had technical issues, so we had to change the recording system that we had set up. We did it by telephone in the end. And the first few minutes, the phone line didn't seem to work very, very well. It's all audible, it's all understandable, but be patient. Within the first few minutes, you might have some hearing problems and then it becomes better and better. And I believe also more and more exciting in the interview. So do enjoy my talk with Chris Allen and let's go and meet him now. Here comes the interview. 
I have the great pleasure today to welcome here on the Thoth Hermes podcast, Chris Alaon. You have to tell me how you pronounce your name properly, Chris, because <laughs> I pronounce it in the German way. So please introduce yourself with your name first, please. <laughs> so my name is Chris Allen. You pronounce Allen. Allen. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So I I don't know what I made of that, but of course I I, I tried to do it in the in the European way. So Chris, um, let's stay with Chris. It's great to have you here. Thank you for your time and that we finally made it. Uh, it was almost like a bit of a magical or shamanic experience because Chris and I we wanted to, to record this talk already two days ago, and um, then there was a huge thunderstorm happening on my in my place here, and we were unable to record that because the well the current went down for several hours um and uh, uh, thanks chris for making it possible two days later again i know that was not easy for you but um some, sometimes you get the impression that nature is stronger than what humans want to do don't you agree absolutely <laughs> <laughs> right and i think that's also in part the topic of our talk here today you have published over the last four years, I would say, four books that... Uh, um, five. Five, uh, yes, five it's now, yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. four of them I, here in front of me, and, and um, it's by the titles of those four that I got um, really interested in talking to you because the first two are talking about the underworld, and then mm -hmm. comes the upper world and the other world. And yeah. For those of you who are a bit into shamanism as well, and they, of course, know about those three worlds, but in a funny way, we don't hear a lot about the three of them. I must say, it's, 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 to me, it was quite, quite a unique experience to find somebody writing actually about the three levels. Uh, would, you, would you also say that this is rather a rare, a rare thing? Um, yeah, because what happens is there's a few books that talk um, about shamanism and they do talk about the three worlds, but they don't elaborate, you know, exactly. they usually yeah. say like, they usually say things like, oh, it's the underworld is about the ancestors and then you have the upper world with the gods mm -hmm. and then that's all they say. But that, I think it's because they're trying to get you to have your own experience. But a lot of people throughout the ages have already had the experiences and, and, and they can already teach you what to find and what to expect. That being said, you should have your own experiences and have your own adventures as well. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we talk about that more in depth in a minute because, um, uh, but we wanted to set out the topic here a little bit. Um, but first, Chris, let's start with yourself because um, um, uh -huh. you you are still quite a young man. I I, I get the impression, and um, <laughs> um, so. Um, you, how did you come into the whole world of this, into the whole world of um, occultism in general, and particularly into the world of paganism? I think that's where it started for you. And uh, yeah, what what attracted your interest, and how did you, did you get more than interested but involved? So I come from a, a very spiritual family family very religious and my family is christian they're 
a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and and but we're also from the country, so you know horses and chickens and the forest and rivers and like mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. And so my father used to take us to church all the time, uh, but then after church we would have all these thoughts of God and the and the and for divine, and then we would play in the woods. And so, so I would sing the divine and the trees and the animals and the wind and the air. So when I found paganism, when I was like 17 years old, I thought, well, this is exactly how I see the universe. This is how I see God. So mm-hmm. I got into paganism, witchcraft. Um, I, I'm part Cherokee. So I wanted to learn more about the indigenous, um, U.S. tribes, and so mm-hmm. I got into Native American spirituality, uh, specifically Lakota and Apache, and so that led me to research uh, shamanism in other countries, like Buddhist shamanism and Siberian shamanism, things like that. So it kind of it just flowed, I guess. Right. Well, let's get let's go a bit slower on that. Well, first question I have, if I may, um, yeah. if you don't want to talk too much about it, that's okay. But uh, if you if if you want to, it would be nice. Um, uh, how did your father react? Because um, uh, I mean, as a Christian, how did he react to the fact that his son suddenly would turn to paganism and and another type of creed than his own? Well, it was strange because my um, mother would talk about ghosts and dreams, and 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 she was very uh, psychic. She was very um, psychic, mm-hmm. but she, she believed that her talents came from Jesus. You know, Jesus gave her a dream, or Jesus helped her uh, know something. Right. And so, I actually kept it a secret when I was in high school. It wasn't until like. I don't know college, and I really didn't talk about. I really didn't talk about it for, with my family. Part of it is just because I respect who they are, and I'm not going to change them, and I don't want them to change me. However, we did talk about ghosts a lot, and we talked about spirits, and we talked about the angels, and we talked about dreams and visions and things like that. So. It's kind of hard because on on one hand, as long as you say everything you you do comes from Jesus, it's okay to my family. Mm-hmm. But I also know a whole lot of of a family crafters who 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 practice the the cult, but they're also Christian mm-hmm. too. So. It's kind of that blend, you know, it's like, oh, I had a dream. Oh, it came from God. Oh, it's okay then, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, uh, but I never said, oh, I worship the goddess. I never told them that part. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, they know better, better, better now. Safe. They know now. Yeah, sure, sure. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, you said that you had uh, Native American blood yourself. Um, of oh. course, was that a strong influence in your in your childhood and later on when you discovered uh, that path? No, um, because growing up, we never talked about it. In fact, mm-hmm. we kind of hit it because we didn't want, because my parents once told me, now this was in the 80s, 
you know, don't talk about it because you don't want people to be racist against you. So right. don't say anything because I take after my father. I have a blue eyes, uh, lighter skin. Mm-hmm. And so I, you can't really tell. And so my family's like, well, don't, well, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my 20s or late 20s, I'm like, I, I want to find out who the Native American people are. I want to find about who they were in history. And I want to find out who they are right now and the spiritual practices and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, but, uh, then, then you said you were going into the different types of shamanism. So uh, Buddhist yeah. shamanism, Siberian, etc. Which, which of course is an important thing I believe to do because one has too much the image of shamanism being one thing in maybe one people that one knows better, but uh, it's in fact something that's very deeply rooted in whole of, of humanity. Wouldn't you say so? Oh yeah, I mean I think we all have that power. I think I think all uh, cultures started off being. Um, in tune to the spirits and the dead and things like that. But we, we became quote unquote civilized and we turned our, our back towards shamanism. So I think all cultures have that, have that possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always thought it was interesting how, you know, how the civilized culture you know, whenever they see the Native American spirituality or the um, or shamanism or indigenous spirituality, they think it's um, it's old or it's 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 superstitious. It doesn't mean anything. But as we know, it's the civilized people who've lost their who have lost their connection to nature. Yeah, so, you're absolutely right, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, may I ask, in, in, are, you, are you living in, a, in an area nowadays that's more urban, or are you living in, a, in, a, in an area that is more uh, still the countryside? Where, 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 how do you live now? No, I'm in Chicago, so I'm very oh, okay. close to the city. I'm I'm in the city. However, my home is on the lake here, the Great Lake, yeah, Michigan. Mm-hmm. So, and we also have a bunch of forest preserves here, like a lot. So I can drive a half hour, and I'm in the forest. Okay. So we're very close. Mm-hmm. So I I go out in nature all the time, all the time. Right, right. So that's an important part of your life, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, 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 I see, I see. Um, okay, so then you, what age, 17, you said you started to be interested <laughs> yeah. more deeply in the, in the, in the pagan worlds uh-huh. and, and shamanism yeah. and, and for taking it, taken from there, how did it continue? So, um, I would read books on witchcraft and things like that and spells and candles and, and herbs, and, you know, the thing that everybody does. And I did that for, I don't know, until about the year 2000. And then I found a formal, a formal teacher 
Mm-hmm. And so he, he trained me in, in paganism, magic, shaman, a little bit of shamanism, ceremonial magic, witchcraft, all of it. Mm-hmm. And so we also started a pagan church together, the Fellowship of the Phoenix. So he was already an ordained uh, priest, and so he ordained me. And so I became an ordained a pagan priest in 2002, and I was uh, mm-hmm. 27 years old then. Mm-hmm. So from there, I became a massage therapist. <laughs> and okay. so that's what I do in the daytime. So, um, and then by that point, I was uh, 30, and so I decided, hey, I've got this very good background on paganism. I wanted to go further into shamanism and into indigenous spirituality. So, so I found a teacher, her name is Billy Topatote, Billy, Billy Topatote here in Chicago, mm-hmm. Chicago. And, um, she taught me about the Lakota and Apache spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so I, I practiced both paganism and shamanism for years and years and years and mm-hmm. years. And there's a few groups out here who, who practice the um, the uh, sacred ceremonies, the uh, the sacred pipe and the uh, sweat? Uh, we call it in, in Hippie, mm-hmm. and it's the um, sweat lodge, and we do that. And between, uh, so I have the fellowship of the Phoenix, and then I have my own private um, magical circle. Plus, I do Native American spirituality, so I have a whole lot of stuff, you know, spiritual stuff going on. Yeah, um, it's quite it's quite a wide yeah. range, but which all seems to be linked somewhere, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's all connected. Yeah, yeah. You need to tell us a little bit more um, about certain things, if I may ask, because um, mm-hmm. of course our audience here—they are all, I think, quite well aware of of uh, uh, the different schools, etc. But there are certain types which we don't know. For example, uh, you mentioned the Brotherhood of the Phoenix, right? Uh, where you are not the ordained yeah. minister of. Uh, can you can you say tell us more about that? Sure. So that's a an an. LGBTQIA, a pagan church, and we founded it here in Chicago back in 2004. Yeah, and um, I've been, and that's basically queer spirituality, and we celebrate a, a lot of times in paganism, they celebrate the goddess and they celebrate it as a very heterosexual, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, God sees the goddess. They have sex. They have a baby. Someone dies, and then mm. they're born again in spring. Yeah. Well, we don't have for those experiences. So our divine is more of like, for example, uh, the uh, queer youth mm-hmm. or the explorer, like the queer explorer. Uh, so when a gay man is trying to find out who he, who he is as a gay person. Well, what does that mean? So we have um, a God for that. Yeah. We also have 
and they have the career lovers. So what does that mean sexually? What does that mean? You know, we be relationships and friendships mm-hmm. and, and then so forth, you know, mm-hmm. so is that through a career experience? And can I enjoy it? Um, I haven't seen a bunch, uh, a lot of that here in the U S a teeny tiny bit because I know they have the Manuno and Brotherhood, which is more of a Wiccan um, uh, theology. But for us, we kind of um, 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 make it up as we go. Yeah. So we don't have a set um, theology. If if uh, we're open to to any kind of spirituality, any kind of thought, any kind of theology, so. If your career want to hang out with us and talk about paganism, sure, mm-hmm. hang out with us. But yeah. we do, of course, have like a, a very specific rituals, initiations, rites of passages, things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I have to ask you, you were mentioning, well, the sweat lodge. What What's the name that you gave to mm-hmm. the, the type of sweat lodge It's, that you mentioned? So in Lakota, it's a called the Inipi, I N I P. Okay, yeah. In, in Inipi. It's just a. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a, a Lakota word, right? Um, yeah, and the sweat is a very sacred ceremony. Have you ever done a sweat lodge before? Yes, in the traditional shamanic way. Yes. Yeah. So, so as you know, you build a hut, and, mm-hmm. and there's a hole in the, in the ground, and you put the hot rocks. Yes. You close up the hut, and it's all dark. You can't see a thing. Mm-hmm. And then the ceremonial leader pours a blessed water on the rocks, and it mm-hmm. creates a very, very hot, hot, hot. Steam, and you yeah. sit there and you chant and you pray and you sing and you do um, energy healing and things like that. And it's intense. It's extremely Certainly hot. Yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. says, I had a friend say, oh, it sounds like it's just like a um, steam room. I'm like, it is not anything like a steam room. Not at all. It's like a thousand times hotter than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also the, the steam, of course, you feel it. And it, it puts you in a certain kind of trance state, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. Uh-huh. A deep yeah. trance, actually. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's awesome absolutely. because in the uh, Lakota uh, way, we like call to the sacred um, the directions, um, certain spirits, certain animals, things like that. Mm-hmm. for healing, for blessings and things. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you're a pipe carrier, it says, an American, Native American pipe carrier. Uh, is that related to what you just uh, told us? Or what, what is it exactly, if I may ask? So, so the pipe is what people in the U.S. used to call the peace pipe. Yeah. It has nothing to do with peace at all. It's a, it's, it's, for healing mm-hmm. and it's in it's um so the pipe is a believe that when you put the tobacco you put prayers in the 
tobacco and you put it in the, the pipe as offerings to all the spirits. And when you pray, you hold the pipe to your heart mm-hmm. and you pray for healing for yourself, for friends, for your family, for community, for whoever. And then you light the pipe and, and when you blow the pipe out of you or when you breathe in the um, tobacco smoke, mm-hmm. it's believed that um, when you blow it out, you, you also breathe out an offering with your personal energy to right. the spirits. So, mm-hmm. so when you pray, you say, hey, um, my friend has, uh, is sick. I ask that the spirits help heal him. And, and then I inhale the um, smoke. And, and, and then in my um, mouth, it's, it blends with my life force. And when I breathe it out, that's an offering to the spirits. And so that's initially, I mean, it's more complicated because you have to sing certain songs and say certain things, but that's the gist of it. Okay, very interesting. And is that yeah. related to what it says also in your short biography that you are uh, working or studying the path of the Red Road? Red, red, red Road. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of uh, Native American spirituality, um, red's the most sacred color um, because, and like if you uh, will go to Arizona, or New Mexico mm-hmm. or Utah, the yeah. earth, the soil, yeah. Especially at certain times, and, and the soils are red soil. Mm-hmm. But then soils are blood. Our blood is red. So there's a connection between our blood and um, Mother Earth. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. There's also a connection to uh, the uh, Native American skin color being on the red side. So there's a, a connection between the blood, skin, and the earth. Right. So, so also, in the four directions, each of the, the directions has a color, and each of the tribe has their own colors. But a lot of times in the east, which is the rising sun, Mm-hmm. Um, that's the color of uh, the, the east is the color of the red road, mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. and each right. of the directions has a color so the red road when someone says oh I'm studying the path of the red road they mean I'm learning the Native American tradition I'm learning how to heal I'm learning about the three shamanic worlds, I'm learning about the spirits, I'm learning how to find balance. That's what right. Um, that's, I find it really interesting because, of course, I know almost nothing about those traditions. And <laughs> I think most of our audience won't. And it's really fascinating to hear you talk about that. And um, you said you also studied uh, ceremonial magic at some point. And of course, yes. there were, there you have that very traditional four element um, um, yeah. situation where also the four cardinal directions the, have mm-hmm. their colors for other reasons. The, uh, east yep. would be rather yellow in that case, um, in most traditions at least. But anyway, do you see a certain uh, um, 
relation between the North American pagan and uh, native traditions and other traditions in the world um, or is there some some how could I call it uh, old link between them or do you think they are really separate worlds which you have to learn also separately to work with so I can say some of the um, connections um, but I think you know with the ceremonial magic, with the four directions, and you draw a um, circle. So all cultures have the four directions, and we all have a circle. Mm -hmm. So I, I can see how they are um, similar, but I don't think they have some ancient uh, course uh, mm -hmm. course correspondence at all. Partly mm -hmm. because, you know, when you do advanced ceremonial magic, you call the angels, you call the demons, you you uh, call certain gods and spirits and things. And in the Native American spirituality, you do call the spirits, but it's, it's, more, it's more earthy. It's more, you know, the sky, the wind, the sun, um, the mm -hmm. earth. The trees, for in ceremonial magic, um, it's about the uh, four elements, it's about the planets, the stars, yeah. the zodiac. It's a little, I mean, it's hard to compare, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I, I would agree, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. But what I find interesting also when I see the, uh, when I read your books, but even on the title page, um, you're talking very freely uh, and, uh, at the same time about shamanism, about magic, about witchcraft. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying at all that you're mixing them up because that would be the, the, the wrong impression that I would give. But it's it sounds to me when you talk, and now that you talk about it, it the impression is even stronger that to you this all is like a unity uh, uh, one thing and maybe different different pages of the same book would would that be a good definition for like you see it um kind of, i think so um how i see it is your intention your impression so when i you know when i'm doing ceremonial magic and i take out the four tools and and can and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about a very Hebrew, Egyptian, Greek um, mentality. Okay. You know? mm -hmm. But when I do a, um, a Native American ceremony, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the earth. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the animal and plant spirits. I'm thinking about, um, it's kind of like we use the same talents. You use the energy. You use the um, spirits. You talk to the spirits. You have a relationship with the spirits. But I guess it's a different focus. I want to say that. So it's similar, but it's, it has some differences. Yeah. I mean, this might be a tricky question now because, uh, <laughs> uh, but how, how would you define magic? What is magic to you? I think um, magic is is 
connecting to the um, energies of the universe mm-hmm. and and uh, magic can bring change or it can bring healing or f- whatever your desire is as long as you're connecting to the energies of the um, universe to affect change in your life or the life of others right and in 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 that definition or in the work you do in the globally not just the magical work um is there also something like what in the traditional path you call the left hand and the right hand path or is that Uh is that is there a unity between the two of them as well for you um so for me the right hand path is about is about through logic, energy, mm-hmm. action, mm-hmm. Um, healing. Um, think. I always like to think about. Um, it's more about community. It's more about doing the right thing for everyone. Whereas the left hand path, a lot of people think, oh, Satanism, or it's uh, black magic, and it isn't. It's it's about the ancestors, shamanism, dragons, the earth, who, whereas the right hand is more about, um, I want to say, um, celestial, the gods, mm-hmm. good for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. where if I'm doing left hand path, path um, magic for myself, I might, I'm trying to to uh, spiritually evolve in a way that I connect with the dead, the ancestors, and the earth, things like that. You know, mm-hmm. so and I think you have to have I I think you have to have a balance between uh, both of them. Uh, but again, it's similar, present at the same. But you do have to have both. You just can't be a right hand path or right. a left hand path. Right. I think you have to do both. Right. Otherwise, right. you won't be whole. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And magic is always a whole thing. Absolutely. That's. I hope I, so. I, I would. Yes, you would hope so. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Find balance. Exactly. So Chris has many, many interesting things to say to us, and uh, now we are taking a little break, as always, but. Uh, Be assured that it's going to become even more interesting, in my opinion, in the second half, where we touch many other subjects and uh, we will listen to Chris' opinion and experiences with that. Right, now it's time for some music, as always. And um, as I promised, we will have another piece of shamanically influenced music, but from a completely different part of the world. Let's go to Siberia. Siberia, with its shamanic background, is of course always also a big inspiration for all shamans and for musicians. And here we're going to listen to a piece called The Call of the Shaman. Well, that's obvious, but um, it is interpreted by a woman from Russia, from Siberia, by the name of Olena Utai. Um, by her name, she must really be originally from Siberia. And, um, well, the Carl of the Sherman is quite an interesting piece that she performed in a big concert hall. So once again, this is not recorded in the woods by original shamans, but it's music that is highly influenced by shamanism. The Carl of the Shaman. 
by Olena Utai. And then we go back to meet Chris again right away after that piece of music. And after the interview, there is also, as usual, our third piece of music. But this time I am not going to reveal you now what piece of music that is going to be. Listen to it and guess where that may come from. I am curious, maybe even to hear from you, if you were able to guess that. And um, I was quite surprised when I heard that piece of music when researching for this show, um, by the sound and then by the country that it originates from. I had placed it in a completely different part, uh, well, let's say, of the world. Yes. Okay, so um, don't worry, stay with me. After the interview, after the third piece of music, I will, of course, let you know if you guessed right or if you were, like me, completely off track. Okay, but now, for the moment, it's Siberia, it's Siberian shamanism, it's the call of the shaman by Olena Utai.
let's now go into the world of your four to five books. T tell us before, because you said five books, tell us about the fifth book that I had not mentioned. What, what, was, what was that that I forgot? So, so the fifth book is coming out in October the 1st. It okay. is called The Guide of Spirits. And I teach in the book how to become a um, psychopomp. And what a psychopomp is, mm -hmm. you help the spirits of the, uh, of, the, of the dead find their way to the afterlife. Yes. The reason okay. that's important is because if you have a haunting or lost soul, or if you have a spirit who doesn't know that they died, you have to you have to help them heal. You have to help them find some some healing and, and some peace, and help them find the, uh, their fam their um, family in the afterlife. So that's what the right. fifth book is about. But the other ones are more about the shamanic three worlds. It's almost like a guide of spirits is like an underworld. Three. <laughs> yeah, like a third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Great. And um, well, I might jump on the occasion of you telling us about that book um, that I, I say something about this podcast, which I, which are not about this podcast, but about a podcast, which I haven't been saying in the podcast yet. Some friends of mine on Facebook might have already have seen that announcement, but I am trying to start another podcast, the second one in the fall, which is called Thanatonon. And uh, where I will talk about all kinds of different traditions around dying, death, and the afterlife, or Ooh, not, or the not afterlife, awesome. or whatever. Uh, so, but really from all kinds of cultural, um, occult, uh, historical aspects, and also medical aspects, actually. And uh, mm. so, you might want to appear on that when that book is out in October. Absolutely, <laughs> I do. I can't wait. Let's make it happen. Uh, yeah, no, that that's me too. I've been waiting for two years and now the whole the whole um corona business came in between. I wasn't didn't have the time just to start things and uh, now yeah. I think the fall will be the moment and that coincides well with your book. So we'll speak again about that yes, uh, in the fall. So now let's go to the four already released books, right? So Underworld 1 and 2, Upper World mm -hmm. and Otherworld. I think that was the order also how they appeared over the last year. Yes. Um, yes. Give us a bit more and in-depth description maybe to start with about how you see those three worlds what they mean to you you mentioned briefly in the beginning that people mostly define them with one or two sentences and that's it but maybe yeah. say a bit more about how you see those three those three worlds and what they mean for you so it's interesting part of the reason i came up with the idea of doing all the um, books. Well, the first thing that happened is, is that um, in, my, in my shamanic training, he spent a whole year on just learning about, about the underworld, a whole year. And then the following year, we learned about the upper world and all the different things to do. However, I also, so my teacher, it was, they taught me things about shamanism, but they also taught me things about traditional witchcraft. 
Mm-hmm. So there's a boat. So you'll see in the books that there's like, oh, shamanism and and journeying and healing, but there's also witchcraft and 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 magic and spells. Magic, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in, in the other world, you you spend a whole year with with that, and I how how I even began. Um, Writing. I used to teach a lot about the ancestors, how to work with the ancestors, how to summon the dead, how to deal with hauntings and things. And I would teach and teach and teach. So finally, I thought, well, I'm going to take all these uh, classes and put them into a book. Mm-hmm. And what happened is the book was like 400 pages. And so my publisher, Hendrick uh, um, um, of Oxford, said, hey, you know what? This book is really too long, so let's cut it in half. <laughs> so that's how come there's two. There's two. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and after I wrote the uh, book, I got a lot of great um, feedback. And so someone goes, well, tell us about the upper world. And I said, you know, I think that's a good idea because when I have students who are um, – are journeying, they all say the same thing. They have a hard time journeying to the upper world because it's so strange and abstract and it's energy it, and planet and it's hard. Yeah, yeah. So but, that, thought, right, may, may, may I just stop you there? Sorry, because, because yeah. uh, don't forget what you wanted to say, but um, I think that's exactly a crucial point. And uh, when you when you read about shamanism, when you are being taught shamanism in the common way, let's say in the, in the, in the Western yeah, world, yeah. right? <laughs> um, how, how come that you always only speak about traveling or mostly speak about traveling shamanic travel? I mean, in the underworld and we go yeah. into the hole in the ground, you know, as an image that you, that you, that you have or, but never to the, Upper world, which is as manifest in the shamanic um, imagery than it than is the underworld. What, why do you think is that? I think uh, there are several reasons. I think the first thing is um, because everyone likes ghosts and creatures and vampires and things like that. Mm. So yeah, the underworld, that's awesome. Yay, witchcraft and dark magic, the underworld, that's awesome. But then the upper world, I think you have some people who think, oh, the upper world is a place of God and Jesus and things. And so that's very Christian. So I'm mm-hmm. going to eh, I'm gonna stay away. Uh, but then you have those of us, and myself included at the time, uh, mm-hmm. when I was a student, um, you know, you read the book and you ask your teacher, okay, how do I go to the upper world? And they say, okay, just fly up through the branches and fly up to the clouds and fly up to the stars. And then you get to the upper world and it's so abstract and it's energy, you know, and you're, and you're sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> what am I supposed right. to see? And my teacher said, always start with your own gods and your own pantheon. So I, you know, I honored, um, Diana and Escalopias, and I honor um, 
Odin and Thor and Freya and, mm-hmm. and all that. So I said, oh, I'll go to see the Olympian gods and then I'll go see Odin and in Asgardian. Uh, that was okay. Um, but then, you know, when my teacher's like, oh, explore the planets, explore the zodiac. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a whole nother uh, ball game because at that point you're talking about um, wormholes and star portals and things like that, <laughs> and it was yeah. hard. And so, and, and so I'd have my own students are like, Chris, I need help. And so I thought I'm going to write a book to help people understand the upper world a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. by the time I wrote those three books, I thought, oh. I'm going to have to write about the other world so I have a complete set, you know. But uh, the interesting thing is everything I talk about in other world, the, um, you know, the elves, the fairies, the dragons, the uh, ley lines, the um, shape-shifting and the animal spirits. A very Celtic approach, actually, the other world, right? It is because my teacher was a druid. So oh, I have right, a very right. strong Celtic approach. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. And my very first teacher was a Druid. So it has a lot of those influences. Yeah, also, sure. um, that same teacher initiated me into to, um, traditional uh, witchcraft. And so right. he taught me how to go into trance and work with the fairies and how to do the Seder and things like that and how do you mm-hmm. use the Seder to conjure the dragons and, and, and ride the dragon and things. And so, um, so other world has a little different flavor than the other books because I wanted it to be a homage to the um, Celtic traditional witchcraft that I was uh Right, taught twenty uh, uh, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Um, ago, and part of it is because I read tons of books about the fairies. Oh, leave an offering, um, or whatever. But they don't teach you how to actually be with the fairies, how to work with them, how to honor them, mm-hmm. how to have a very tangible experience. What they say is leave an offering and hope that something happens like right. i want to hope i want to actually do something yeah 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 but um the other world uh, I, i like definitions you know and the audience here knows that <laughs> um what what is what exactly is for you again for you Otherworld. What what does that term mean to you? Is it because it's not the realm of the death of the dead actually no, for you? No, 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 not at all. So I do go in some Celtic, like Irish and Welsh, um, mm-hmm. uh, cosmologies. Like the other world is all of the worlds, like the dead, the gods, everything. Yeah. But for me, it's more of Kind of like the astral counterpart to the physical plane, but it's also an intermediate place. It's the place of where the spiritual energies begin to become more tangible and to be, I guess, become more, um, more thick. 
and mm-hmm. more like the life force. So it's like the spiritual force becomes the astral force, becomes the life force of the other world, which becomes the physical plane of of our world. And mm-hmm. so that's how I see it. It's core of this like place of life force and spirits and the fairies. So it's in it's right in between the astral and the physical plane. Right. You know, yeah, because um, in my training, we did a lot with the uh, ley lines and things. Mm-hmm. And so you, you find a ley line and that's a dragon because it looks, a yeah. serpentine or, or whatever it looks yeah. like a serpent mm-hmm. so therefore the ley line is a dragon so you would conjure the the uh, consciousness of the ley line so that you can open up a portal and speak with the spirits or or do a healing or heal the community or whatever you're doing yeah, I see. I see. Very, very interesting. And then you, do you also, you mentioned, well, that that's again, the tricky one, like the one on magic. I warn you. <laughs> no, but mm-hmm. um, you mentioned traditional witchcraft, of course, mm-hmm. also yeah. there, you hear so many different things, what traditional witchcraft is to him or her. Um, what is it to you? What, what's your type of, of, what is traditional witchcraft for you? What's the tradition there? So, so it's it's the witchcraft that was a um, pre twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Um, can I say that because it can be anything from the eight hundreds to the sixteen hundreds, and it's it's uh, for me it's an ecstatic uh, magical practice to where. It has a whole lot. It has some shamanism. Mm-hmm. It has some sh- shamanic techniques like uh, journeying, trance. Yeah. Um, um, you know, grabbing a cauldron and and going into a trance and conjuring spirits, or or walking into a forest and and uh, end up finding a tree branch and then calling up a of the horned one, the witch yeah. ball, the, uh, with mm-hmm. nothing but mm-hmm. your breath in a tree branch. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know some people think that witchcraft is like, you know, puppets and cauldrons, and it is all those things too. But how I do it, I do it from a very shamanistic uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna conjure the fairies, or I'm gonna conjure the dead. So let's go into a graveyard, bring a cauldron, dance around the cauldron, and raise the dead. So I mean, that's how I view it. It's it's a combination between your uh, stereotypical witchcraft of the 1600s mm-hmm. and add some shamanism, and that's how I see it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, and there is, it's important. I, you know, I, I often ask those things, my guests here, because I, I think it's important to understand not only how they see it, but those different ways you can see or define those words and those terms, because it's, 
it's so easy to get mixed up in, in the world of your cult anyway. And I think I know. I clear know. standpoints are really very important. And I'm, I'm glad you, you are saying that also very clearly and in a way that everybody can understand. Um, when I took those books in hand at first, the first, um, well, uh, I looked, looked him through at first, you know, take, you know, how you do when you get a new book, you open it and you get oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. into the, into the, into, into the contents page, etc. The first thing, the first, the very first impression I had was it was like a kind of grimoire, a how to book also partly, you know, if you, if you want to go that path, what do you have to do? What, what's the, how do you practically use that book? And, but then at the second look, it was to me more than that because it became extremely dense. It's, it's extremely, uh -huh. uh, um, uh, it, it tells a lot, a lot of stories about, about different traditions, etc. When I, you talked about Odin, but there's also Ishtar in it, etc., etc. How, what, what do you make of that first and second impression? <laughs> um, do you think I, I, uh, I described something that you wanted or, well, what, what does no, it No, exactly. No, exactly. I, I think you hit it on the head because originally I wrote it as basically a giant book of shadows, mm -hmm. a giant grim yeah. war, grim, because yeah. all these are practices that I had in my journals, like all mm -hmm. the practices I already had. And, um, you know, and I don't believe in keeping secrets. I don't believe in gatekeeping and I want to share. I want people to grow. Mm -hmm. I want people to become spiritual and celebrate the ancestors and celebrate the gods. And, you know, so yes, I did. Um, the intention was to have a complete set of grimoires. Um, so you, you could flip through and say, Hey, this is how you conjure the dead. Oh, um, this is how you, uh, Uh, call the angels or whoever. Um, but I, I designed it in such a way that it builds on each other. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there are separate chapters, like, um, you know, especially in upper world, there's a chapter on the gods and a chapter on the angels and a chapter on the stars, but you'll see, you have to know how to invoke the God before you can invoke the angels, because if you can't invoke the God, you can't evoke the angel, you know, so it builds on each. Why that, why that way? Why, why do you take it that way and not the other way around? Why is it important to have the, have the gods first and then the angels? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm because just asking. It's not that I'm not agree, but but why why is it that like that? So that comes up from a ceremonial um, uh, uh, magical training. So there's a difference in between calling the angels to guard the circle, like say I call Raphael to guard the east, I call Mihael to guard the south. Well, that's a different thing than saying I, I, I conjured the great angel Metatron into this magical um, mm -hmm. circle to answer all my questions and, and do spells. That's a completely different thing mm -hmm. because you have to ask yourself, well, why should a great and powerful angel do what you ask? Well, okay. Okay. if you invoke... If you invoke a god, 
a God has way more power than an angel. Yeah. So when you conjure the, the angel or demon or the dead, um, what the spirit sees, he doesn't see you, he sees the God or the goddess. Okay. For example, if I'm trying to say, say there's a problem with the spirit, say there's a mischievous spirit just causing harm and havoc and things. For Chris Allen, I mean, I'd like to think I'm powerful, but the spirit would be like, man, he's okay. If I invoke, say, Odin, and I say, by the power of Odin, I command you to leave, well, the, 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 the spirit is going to leave, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because it isn't me who's saying it. It's, it's um, the God. And, and that also, that practice that comes from the Goetia, and the Goetia, they teach you to do to, to a technique. I'm not sure if you know this. Um, it's called the Bornless One. Yeah, yeah The Bornless yeah. One is God. It isn't, it isn't God. Yeah. You know, that which created all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason, the reason I just don't say, call on God, is because you have a whole lot of pagans who say, hey, I follow Odin or I follow um, mm-hmm. Athena or whoever. I don't feel comfortable calling a Judeo-Christian God. I feel comfortable calling a pagan goddess. I call a pagan goddess. I don't care because to do the technique, you have to just feel and know that the divine is inside your body and that you are the divine. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you call it or what it looks like, call the divine. You know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. But I, I kind of interrupted you, I'm afraid. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it just struck me. I had to. <laughs> uh, but we were in the fact that the book, um, well, it was a kind of a like of a grimoire at first, but then it turned into something else for you, right? Well, it evolves. And every author I know, like it's so funny. Once you become published, I think a whole lot of authors, they find a kindred spirit. And you're like, oh, you're an author. Let's hang out because you understand understand what I go through. So I know a whole lot of authors. And and a lot of them say the same thing. Mm -hmm. You have an idea or a book. But then, then it evolves into something. It grows into something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, but because also when you go, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying this. I don't want to give away the book. People should read it. But uh, for example, we, we even find about 20 pages or so about about the tree of life in the upper world book, for example, right? Which uh, there you have your ceremonial magic bit in in it, right? For example, mm-hmm. um, and I find yeah. it fascinating because it, this might sound at first uh, like um, an impossibility to have so many things in such a dense way. In, in in those four books, but, <laughs> but it it I uh, can only encourage people to get them and to read them because um, and they are certainly not a book only for people who want to learn basics. I think it's much more than that. Uh, who who oh did God, you aim yeah. the books for? Yeah, what was your what was your target audience, <laughs> so to speak? If like there is my any? audience, yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I, I want to say whoever, because the idea is I try to write the book in such a way that as long as you have a, have the basics understanding of, you know, energy work, um, how to summon energy that the book itself will teach you how to become more advanced at the same time, I throw in a bunch of techniques and a bunch of ceremonies and rituals for the advanced practitioner, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at the same time, um, one of the things I didn't want to do is I didn't want to have one subject and write 300 pages about Mm -hmm. one thing. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is I think, a lot of books have a words, words and words and words, yeah. Yeah. and they repeat themselves. And you're just like, oh my God, mm. just tell me how to do the ritual. And you have to read like 400 pages just to learn the rituals. So I get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah. And the idea is I write just enough to get you started. Like I want right. you to take the rituals, take the techniques, and and go with it. Um, jump, um, if you want to change it, change it. If you wanted to, if you want to add things, and add things. It's just to get you going, you know. Right, right. Well, in any case, I mean, don't underestimate uh, now, you dear listener. What uh, because Chris says it's those small books. They might look small. Each of them is. 200 plus pages, right? So it's 800 pages altogether. And I can tell you they're <laughs> extremely dense. So when you, when you really want to get into it, um, it'll take you some time to get through those four books. I, and I mean that positively, Chris. <laughs> it, uh, I find them really very, very interesting and, and fascinating. And um, would you want people to read them in the order they appeared or is, doesn't, you, I, don't you think it's important? I don't think it's important. I, the only thing I will say is for the underworld, uh, he, he should read underworld and then and, uh, and deeper the into the underworld. Yeah, sure. Well, but it's kind of a second volume, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But you don't have to. Right. Like, you, you can still pick it up and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, Chris, um, we are coming slowly to the end of our talk here today. Time has passed fast. Um, um, I hope we'll meet again if, uh, in, in the fall October? on that other podcast. Fall, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have some final thoughts um, for our audience. Also in regards to if people are now curious about your books and, and also about the whole path that you are walking. Um, if somebody wants to follow you along that, how would you how would you um, encourage or counsel somebody to to take that path? Um, that's a good question. Um, I would <laughs> take say your everything time. I do. <laughs> right, right. Um, I would say everything I do is about connecting to the universe and having a relationship to all the spirits of so the ancestors. Mm-hmm the fairies, the elves, the dragons, the gods, the angels. And it's about um, 
creating relationships because I think that as humans, we're just part of the spiritual universe. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, oh, we're up high. I don't think so at all. I think we're part of a very vast uh, community of entities. Mm-hmm. And and um, my personal goal is to spiritually evolve, to heal myself and to help others heal. And if we could all just have a spiritual journey, I think that the world would be in a better place if we're all just trying to right. be more spiritual. Right. So, that's, so that's the gist of, of all the books is how to become more connected. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, you know. I have to add something uh, uh, as a question to that. Do you think our world today has become more holistic again than maybe 150 years ago? Or the contrary, has it been much more holistic in earlier times? Holistic I'm in the way that you live it, because your book to me is very holistic and very complete. It's not separating between between traditions it's it's uniting them and do you think that's a yeah that's a trend of the 21st century or or i think or not? so yeah i think so i'm seeing so i see a whole lot of different things i i used to criticize you know certain things like the uh, new age uh, community mm. or this or that or whatever and 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 after Trump <laughs> was our president and he was so awful mm. and and how a lot of people got hurt and a lot of people were so upset and depressed and sick and and and, and things I thought hey whatever a person does to help them heal, who cares? Who cares if it's new age? Who cares if it's witchcraft or who cares if it's Christianity or who cares? As long as it makes them a a better human, Mm -hmm. that's all I care about. So I do think that we're leaning towards a more holistic thing. However, I feel like, you know how we have different parties in our, from both of our countries, but like you have the conservatives and then you have the mm-hmm. liberals. And I think like everybody I know is all into the spirit is into like herbs into healing, um, into energy. But I see a whole lot of conservatives who are like, no, let's, you know, yeah, let's throw the Bible around and let's do surgery. And, and I do want to, I do want to preface that. I think Western medicine has some value mm-hmm. because if I need, if I'm in a car accident, please take me yeah. to a Western yeah. uh, doctor. Don't take me to a Reiki practitioner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm bleeding, I need stitches, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, but I think we're getting there. I think we're slowly getting back there. I do. Okay. Good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for that talk. It was lovely to to have you. And um, uh, good luck with all your projects. And thanks again <laughs> thank for you. coming back two days later after the thunderstorm to speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, take care. And thanks uh, for being with us here today. I think everybody listening enjoyed that very much. And 
have a good rest okay, of the day and, and speak to you sometime. Okay, sounds good. Bye now.
Okay, this third piece of music, also shamanically influenced, I may say. Um, well, did you guess where it came from? I really would be curious to know if you did well, if you guessed well. So I'm going to reveal it. The piece is called Ozzolini. I probably don't pronounce that properly. You might now mean or think this is Italian. It's certainly not Italian, but that might be because I pronounce it in a strange way. Ozzolini by the group Auli. And uh, well, it came to us from Latvia. Um, yes, Latvia, that uh, northern European country in, at the Baltic Sea. And they have a strong Celtic music tradition there, but it's original, it's folk music, it's bagpipe and drums. Um, frankly, when I heard that music for the first time, I guessed it was maybe from Normandy or from, from even Scotland or so. Um, but no, um, it was from Latvia and the group Auli is doing that type of music uh, in a very nice way, in a contemporary way as well, of course, but it's music from Latvia that is at the background and the origin of it. So hope you enjoyed that. And before that, um, I hope you enjoyed the interview because I really think it was very lovely and highly interesting. And, and also, I hope, in spite of the few sound problems that we had at the beginning of the interview, uh, that you were able to enjoy it fully, as always. Don't forget, when we record those interviews, it's sometimes thousands of kilometers, also in that case, between me and my guests. And sometimes it appears almost like a small wonder to me that this works in general so well and without any trouble. Right, well, thanks to Chris Allen uh, for being on the show. Thanks for his time and being so flexible about our recording date. And well, now it's time to say goodbye for today. It's our, it's the end of our episode 10 here on the season six of the Thought Summaries podcast. But before I let you go, of course, I'm going to tell you what's on next week. Next week, um, we have a name again on this show that many, many of you have not only heard about, but know about him. It's Mark Stavish, who will be my guest. And we're not going to do another interview about his latest book. There many have been done about his great book, Egregores, but rather we will speak about the concept of contemporary occultism versus occulture and of the future of this whole thing. So what kind of future are we looking at and what will it also take from us to build one worth, world passing worth to build one world worth passing on to our children sorry about that and that's what matters and that's what mark and i are going to discuss and talk about and i'm sure mark will have very strong and very interesting opinions on that looking forward to be with him next week and to have you with us to listen to that interview. Okay, have a good week. Um, come back next week. And yes, well, for now, I will say take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.